0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Welcome to episode two of the American Rugby Show. I am your host, Alex Cobacero. and I should be joined by Abby Gustaitis and Todd Clever. Abby? Todd? Anyone? Oh, that's right. You know, when you partner a show with uh, international superstars, occasionally they're in global transit. Abby is on her way to Dubai and the women's sevens team's getting ready for that first tournament over there where they got back to back weekends to play. So we won't have her on the show this week, but we will check in with her next week and see how they got on in Dubai in our Eagle Watch segment. And then Todd Clever is in transit to Geneva of all places. You know, Todd, international man of mystery. But he's actually on his way over there to get ready to get married to his fiancee, Maya. So we're just wishing you all the luck and love and congratulations in the world from everyone at the American Rugby Show. We're down two captains of America. I managed to produce two captains of America. I've got Dan Lyle, former Eagles captain, head of AEG Rugby, and Blaine Scully, former captain of the U.S. Men's 15 side. And that's how we're going to kick off the show with our first segment, the State of the Union. All right, guys. Uh, absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Uh couldn't have the American Rugby Show without some American Rugby royalty every week. Thanks for making time in your busy schedule.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah, really really excited.
1: excited. This is the state of the union. This is where we talk about some of the biggest stories in the global game and also what's going on on the ground in the US. And so you know, while we're here and, you know, we're all affiliated and, and and have worked with NBC, I think, you know, the Six Nations wrapping up, it was a bit of a challenge getting that last round and, and maybe not having that climax of Super Saturday finishing with the Welsh win. But what a dramatic finish we had in that Wales-France game. And it teed up what was at least a meaningful game to decide who was going to win. And my initial thoughts were, you know, France have a real chance at this, but it, but it just wasn't to be blamed.
2: I had been a big fan of France as well. And I I kind of had them tabbed to, to take it all in the end. But, I mean, what an incredible Six Nations. I thought it was one of the, the best on-field performances I've seen in a long, long time. And, um, yeah, again, playing in Cardiff for as long as I did, I'm very happy for all my Welsh comrades to uh, have pulled out the Six Nations victory. But uh, I, I just thought,
1: what an incredible event. Dan, I think that competitiveness across the board was one of the biggest themes, like, everyone was talking up England coming in. I was definitely aware England had some potential issues in this tournament, but I was always hot on France, but then Wales coming out of nowhere, Scotland putting in absolute, like some monumental performances in this. And when you look at some of their games that they did lose, they were still pretty close. Um, The gap is definitely closing in that sort of Northern hemisphere bracket and it it made for fantastic viewing. Yeah.
0: I mean, coming out of November, you know, rugby was a, a little bit of a down drum, you know, era and, all of a sudden, Six Nations came about us and, you know, not to pick on the English, but, you know, Scotland coming out and beating the, and winning the Calcutta Cup right at the beginning and then obviously capping it on the back end. But to me, it's also about the depths of these squads, you know, obviously with the last weekend of, of having some of the Scot, uh, Scottish players that had to stay in the premiership because of that, still getting the victory, seeing Wales and Scotland and a few other teams really go deep into their, into their 25, 28, 30, 31 I think that really shows the depth and and how how much of it's grown into that parody, you know,
1: dialogue that you're talking about, Alex. If we touch just on the result a little bit, I thought Scotland's uh, ability to frustrate France. And I think France were in a tough boat because they had to chase the game. Like they had to, from the immediate fashion, go out there with an emphasis of trying to win by 21 points. And that already allow like, when you start looking ahead to that scoreline, it allows you to get tripped up of what's right in front of you. And that's what I thought Scotland did a fantastic job of, was the ability to, you know, kick well, frustrate them, fight every set piece, every breakdown, you know, control the game, keep France defending for large periods of points. France couldn't get the ball enough to actually, or in the right territory to go out there and score. And, and probably their attack, maybe either nervous, the rain, um, I think the COVID disruption affected the momentum of their campaign. All that coming sort of together culminated in that performance where they just were frustrated. And, you know, yes, it looked like they were going to get the win. And if a different day, it was just win or or not, I think France might have finished that game with a win. But the fact because um, of Scotland's sort of grit, it, it, it just never got allowed France to get going. And, and it, it did lay a blueprint of how you should play France. It's quite similar to what Wales did in that first half, I thought, against France as well. I thought... Scotland was very impressive throughout the Six Nations, and
2: who really impressed me was was Stuart Hogg, and I I felt like he was had such a steady hand of leadership, and no matter what was required, whether he was asked to play fly half or manage the game, I thought, you know, by and large, he was one of the captains of the Six Nations, and you know, I think I I think their game plan and how they approached that uh, that final game against France was was excellent.
0: I concur on Stuart Hogg, you know liability in the past was his defense right being able to defend you know it wasn't really coming into line attacking you know putting these great kicks in obviously that's why he can play 10 as well as, but he made tackle after tackle at one point i think he made three tackles in a row on one try, try saving and all that kind of stuff so he was you know a, a, a captain's a captain you know that whole uh, six nations that was really good but i, I also was uh, really impressed by how the uh you know, how the Scottish Fords you know because we used to talk about the French flair that was the thing but the French Fords really have become you know really tenacious and really manning up and that was Scotland always the smaller pack you know smaller men I really felt that those that all of those guys grew and, and grew significantly and you know none so none none more than like Hamish Watson who you know might have put his hand up to be you know e- even in the Lions team you know as, as a guy so I, I was really impressed by it. How the Fords manned up that entire game because playing defense against such a competitive, you know, uh, French team is uh, was just remarkable.
1: No, I, absolutely. I I think um you know Scotland having their best pieces on the field has really allowed sort of a, a, an uptick in emphasis and how they're playing. Like I, I I put that emphasis on Finn Russell at ten, but then what's accompanied him being able to pull the strings and be the maestro is bang on what you're saying. The forward game of Scotland has increased tenfold. They are matching England at the scrum. They are mauling England. They are mauling uh, France and giving them pressure at the scrum. They have ball carriers. They have grit. I always worried about their ability to handle big physical sides because that was probably you know where they are a little undersized traditionally. But they've now equipped themselves with a game plan, which makes them a tough out for anyone in world rugby. And And, and I only see them improving in this next cycle. And and probably maybe that's my last follow on to you guys for the Six Nations is my, my big takeaway was, is I think France, the team that's still upward surging. They had a little bit of a, a bump in this Six Nations and it was learning curves around COVID. Uh, I think Scotland on a clear uptick. In my opinion, Ireland are a clear uptick. Wales are on an uptick. And then you've got England, the little the outlier, which I think is kind of doing this up down. Not really able to find their way to an upward trajectory now, and and so you know that big theme, Blaine. You know how how do you see the balance of power shifting in the Six Nations?
2: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting one because it, I think when when we're analyzing, we tend to be only immediately analyzing what we just saw, but the challenge is actually contextualizing the analysis and then putting it in a larger trajectory around where teams are in their life cycles, where individual athletes are in their performance cycles and how those kind of overlap to then, you know, kind of track towards what we're really interested in, in finding out is how teams do in 2023. And so, I mean, as far as, as far as where my mind is, is it very much felt like a middle cycle tournament, but one of the most competitive and, and uh, engaging uh, tournaments that I've, I've seen in a long time, maybe it was because we've been stuck at home for so long, but Man, what what intensity! But it it I, I think it's almost slightly too early to tell because you think about you know someone like Wales where they have a couple really key pivotal players, but you know where they are in a two years time versus where maybe some of the England players are in two years time. So it's just kind of really hard, I think, for us to kind of overlay that both you know short term, longer term, and then where each individual is in the context of the team
1: and you know the home nations right one of the things you, you've got to talk about is this lion's tour and it's been quiet a little bit because we haven't really known about what what exactly it's going but exactly six nations has been that proving ground you've got european rugby now has that run into it as well and i think if you're warring gatlin there still are a lot of places up for grabs mainly because of the theme that we talked about of how competitive the six nations was And the fact you think a traditional spine of that Lions team was probably initially thought to be very English. After Six Nations like that, there's definitely some rethinking in the equation that might factor in, you know, guys from other teams that maybe weren't in the initial plan who have definitely nudged themselves into contention. People like Hamish Watson, Jamie Ritchie, um, you know, guys like that from Scotland who I think all of a sudden just enter the equation. That is Northern Hemisphere European rugby segmented in the State of the Union. We're on to, we've got to talk about it, it's the MLR. It's been, you know, two rounds now. Blaine, to you as, you know, lifelong rugby player in the U.S., um, come through the system, MLR has been growing uh, gradually. It's now been back after a long COVID break. What are your initial thoughts of it? The amount of resources that people are committing, uh, the amount of time and energy and
2: commitment that these folks have have put into relaunching the season. And and as you know, as well as anybody now being a, being a coach in LA um, just, just how much uh, people have, have changed their lives in order to make this a reality is just really bloody impressive. So, I mean, I think more than anything, and I I wrote in in an article for, for the rugby network that it's, it really truly is a season to be grateful for, Um, you know, in spite of all the things that we have going on that, we can still all look forward to some rugby on the weekend. It's just, it's just, it's just
1: something to really, you know, kind of smile at, I think. Absolutely. And Dan, how have you been finding it? I know you've been watching it very closely.
0: Yeah. Um, I balanced it, but you know, between that, uh, I use the words endeavor and enterprise, right? So, you know, the, the, the endeavor is there. You can just see so many good things happening, you know, the determination of the squads and the coaches and the owners, they just get, this this thing started and re-upped and uh, all the backrooms I know events like you know I that's what I do for a living I know how hard it is to do these things and manage those all these th- all these things together and and but that's balance against the enterprise you you've committed to this rugby network and and getting all of these games produced and there's going to be lots of different standards of what that looks like initially based upon how high you could put your camera and how good the feeds are in and, and what the local production companies are and the balancing with all of these local deals. And they've done some wonderful local deals with prime ticket in LA and, uh, NBC, uh, in, in Washington and all that kind of stuff. So there is just so many moving parts that as a fan, you've, you've got to, you've got to be uh, joyful that you, you you have that in some of these latencies, some of these issues that are, that you're, that we're dealing with. You just got to kind of take a, a moment of pause and just kind of, Hold back on the criticism and and just note it down and just just like every every team you want to be involved in, if it's getting better every week, you know what I mean. Then you you we're good. If it if it's staying the same, then the, then the the business heads in
1: the M L R are going to have to make a decision. I agree. It is it is you know I think quite remarkable and a credit to the whole organization and everyone involved that they got two rounds off and we've had no COVID interruptions. And and I think if we looked at this, you know a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, people would have even thought that the, the, the fact of getting this league off the ground was unachievable with, with the unknowns around COVID. And and, and I think, you know, obviously you've got to factor in the, the vaccine rollout and, and everything, but it is a good sign for sports that at this early stage, um, I always thought the early stages where it might be the worst is people still learning the protocols and, and adapting uh, is, is in this position where we've had two rounds uninterrupted, Blaine. And, and, and I think it, it's such an important factor for their survival is that they're able to keep a product out on the field and and not fall into this COVID trap, which is almost unavoidable sometimes.
2: Yeah. Which is really hard as a startup and we have seen that in the corporate world for sure. But you know, again, and then kind of moving to the, to the, to the play now. I mean, I think um, it's been a really interesting first couple of weeks. Sort of what we've seen on the other side of the pond from a parody perspective. You know, maybe the LA Guillotinis look better than everybody else. They have some big names, so we'll see how that kind of shakes out. They have a really good scrum coach, I heard. But I, I was um, going to say, I was like, if you're talking now, come on. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting how this all tracks. And I, I mean, uh, you can kind of you know, zoom out from you know our our sort of national team perspective as well. I mean there's some really big things on the horizon. It's really good to see some young American qualified talent coming through and there'll be World Cup qualifiers coming up here shortly and we don't know what the uh, the summer season looks like for for the national team, but you know tons to look forward to tons to take stock of and I think the quality of the product will continue
1: to grow and improve. Blaine, I think touching on, you know, the American players in this league, I think it is a discussion point that ne- needs to be addressed. One of the criticisms is the fact that, you know, are there enough American players playing in this league? Do we have too many for- foreigners allowed? I think there's been a, you know, there's always been a comparison to the Japanese model and how Japan were able to sort of elevate themselves from tier two to a closer tier one by this long term growth and sustainable league. But it has a clear emphasis on Japanese players with some big name foreigners. Where there are some voices that are worried about the sort of lack of U.S. representation as more and more foreign foreigners allowed in, and we get U.S. players based on the bench.
2: And it is 100% a balance. Um, and and again, I I would also highlight that this is where M.L.R. is is an important piece, but a piece in a larger player development pipeline where we're we're talking about the 10-year-old to the high school player to the collegiate athlete. Them getting robust uh, playing opportunities and exposure opportunities, uh, which then, at if if they've done the work and they're they're prepared, can make the jump to a professional structure. And then at that point, it's where the the bringing in of of international talent can supplement the league through knowledge transfer, improve the competitive balance and quality of the league from a playing and competition perspective, um, and then giving those players that knowledge because that's as as you both know that 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 knowledge transfer you have from teammate to teammate is so incredibly valuable. Um, but at the same time, it just has to allow for those opportunities for those young emerging talents to to actually have a place. so I, I think again it's on balance how how does the international component add to the value and not restrict the opportunities? Um, but then all that said, if we do find that right balance, which there I think it's a fine line, but there is a, a line that that can be walked um it can really be such a value add uh, because those international talents can be distributed amongst you know 13 potential uh, other franchises with you know potentially another couple hundred american qualified athletes to then go improve the the quality of the national team but it's it's really a holistic conversation i think from the 10 year old to the high school athletes to the collegiate rugby player potentially some transfers to the opportunities at the professional level And then how that all coexists and works together to create the the best quality project for Major League Rugby. And then also, hopefully, enhance the competitive uh, nature of the national team as
1: well. All right, guys. Absolutely fantastic segment. Uh, Pleasure to have you on the State of the Union. Dan, you're going to stay around for Eagle Watch on the show. But Blaine, absolute legend. Really appreciate everyone on. And I thought it was a great discussion.
2: Thanks for having me on, boys.
1: Our next segment is Eagle Watch, and it's myself and Dan Lyle talking all things USA Rugby. Although it's been a tough time for USA Rugby, and, and it, it you know COVID has been brutal, the bankruptcy, getting out of that, it also is a reasonably exciting time and time to be optimistic. I think with the you know the return of sevens in the wins, a run into the Olympics to go ahead. Um, you know we'll get on to, to to your event as well that that we have and then also the MLR the noise here the players um, I feel like you know as much as there's been some things to be frustrated about it is it's trending in the right direction
0: yeah I mean you had the double whammy from an eagle perspective of, of the postponement of Tokyo right till this year um, which it looks like you know it's going to go ahead you know and I don't think there's any doubts about that and of course now the postponement of the women's world cup right you know for 15s you got that and so they, that plan was coming together you know by way of you know how training camps how they were going to mesh the women's 7s and 15s together Emily Bidwell you know uh, you know uh, and, and all the coaching staff were working together on, on all of that and and certainly they're they're now going to have to reboot their assembling and trying to figure out what they're going to do you know in the coming months from a 15s perspective so all the focus now is on 7s you know from, from the women's perspective they're in Dubai for these back-to-back weekends playing a really competitive, still without Alev Kelter, right, who who's a little bit of a longer term injury. She's coming back. She's so so vital. But, you know, they had a few injuries and a few COVID cases in the last case. So I think I think they were they're going to come into Dubai. I, I think their performance level will rise and 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 they'll have they've got, you know, the majority of the of their squad there. So balancing that out is there. Men took a step back. They were going to go to Dubai, had some injuries there. Obviously Perry Baker you know he's on a pathway to, to potentially co- come back. Uh, not just potentially, but there's a there's a strong uh, case he's back. Maka Nufe is uh, has a longer term injury that he's in doubt now. Obviously Nate Ebner coming back. That, that's all great stuff for the Sevens program. Carlin Isles coming working his way back into the system, and if you had and Falau Nua uh, who is just one of those great players. And the Barretts, the Madison Hughes, all those ones that didn't go. To Madrid, all of those guys are now starting to train again, and they're they're really starting their season in a lot of ways now, and, and uh, looking for looking forward to hosting them, the men's and women's uh, teams in LA, you know, at the end of June.
1: Yeah, how exciting is that? That you know, you, we've now we, we've seen two weeks of MLR get ahead successful games, two California events. Obviously, no fans in in these events yet, but it, it, I believe the fans are not far away from being allowed in how, how excited are you with seeing these events and giving you hope that you you can actually go out and and get back to what you do best is putting on an exciting international sevens product for us american fans
0: yeah we we, we made the decision to delay la until uh la sevens until next year as far of the hsbc world world seven series so, so that's going to be march 5th and 6th next year so that they, people can put that on the long-term calendars what we decided to do with World Rugby is, is do this Olympic prep event, 25, 26. That's a Friday afternoon, Saturday. So people can uh, really have a good time, both Friday night and Saturday night, is the way I look to, want to look at it. And we've got some a, a lot of things we're, we're balancing, though, right? Teams, invites, quarantines in their own countries. How do they get in, get out right before Tokyo? Do they go directly from LA to Tokyo and all that kind of stuff? Fans, April 1. We're going to hit a twenty or thirty percent venue um, uh, allowance, you know, in in California. So we're automatically going to go there. I know you guys at the LA Coliseum, the Guiltinis, are looking forward to that as well. So just going to start adding fans, and we'll we'll make some decisions over the next four to six weeks. How many fans? What the teams are as they accept invites? What the broadcast can look like, and all that stuff. So it's very much, you know, I feel very much and know how the MLR teams. How the oh how our national teams are you know taking each week because you're having to do so much more right now in the checks and balances, double check, triple check, create contingency plans for if things don't happen. But look, we're going to have our both our men's and women's teams, uh, Canada and, and and a half a dozen more teams to compete and really have a send off for our teams as we put in that press conference. How that look? What the look and feel and how many more fans are the patience is another four to five weeks before we really know exactly what are the details you
1: know I, I think everyone has you know learned to realize that that is reality that it's very hard to plan anything with too much detail too far in advance as this landscape is ever changing one of the things that's ever changing but is also very prominent sounds very promising from a usa rugby standpoint is this potential test in in july for the for the eagles um you know touch on a little bit of that there's a window it's potentially got to work around the MLR and some of those logistics, but, but actually getting some competition for the men's 15s program soon.
0: Yeah, certainly we've seen Gary uh, gold back over here. He's patrolling the sidelines and, you know, looking at the talent kind of, you know, trying to gear up. He's a, he's a year behind in his 23 prep, you know, now. So trying to look what that, what the players look like, the ones that are incumbent, and he knows about. And that next talent that we talked about with Blaine, you know, in the State of the Union. But he, he uh, the England game or England tour of America was on the cards part, pre-COVID, right? It's part of the World world Rugby schedule. Having said that, Canada, because of restrictions, July 1 is their beginning of when they're allowed people in. So that first weekend, that 4th of July weekend, England were supposed to play up in Canada and then come down to the U.S. that next week. Right now, you don't know where to play, what stadiums are going to look like. And those are big endeavors, right? You gotta there's that you gotta pay for your teams, the England team, stadiums that you know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of cost for those type of events. So yeah, the, the COVID protocol
1: alone of, of getting that off the ground is like a nightmare big expense.
0: Yeah. Right. Then you add in all the uncertainty, Alex, as you're talking about from COVID and what how what levels of that and sponsors aren't jumping out of their skins right now to uh, to, to to do events right now. Right. So you're you, you've got so much uncertainty. So so they're looking at the detail of Canada, and the U.S. going over to England, you know, and, you know, playing over there, you know, maybe including a fourth team and to a bit of a competition. You know, uh, is that part of the run into uh, the Lions, you know, which hasn't been announced that they're playing, you know, uh, obviously down in South Africa, but at some point, but, you know, do they get a prep? You know, they're supposed to be playing Japan up in Murrayfield, So making it part of there because everybody is over there and there's other home nations that aren't touring either. So they're looking for games for, for their players, just like we played Scotland a few years ago during the last uh, lions tour over here in the U S so it's there's, there's a likelihood of everything moves over there. Um, but certainly then your mind's eye goes right to the Rugby World Cup qualifying, which is supposed to be in August, September, right? You know, so that's home and away versus Canada. And then winners and losers of those games play against the South American teams. You don't want to go into those games without any prep. So how, who do you play ahead of time? So I think that that's all in USA Rugby uh, uh, right now in in their department. And they're trying to figure all that stuff out. And we're trying to give as much guidance from my putting my AEG hat on as much guidance and support of, you know, what that, what that might look like and how we can potentially
1: help. Yeah. And part of that is going to have to entail um, some form of release and partnership with the MLR. They, I feel like, um, you know, collaboration here is the way to get these, these tests off the ground to benefit the U S players to, to also, you know, benefit us, but then, the MLR, I I understand their their issues of they're the ones funding the league, they're the ones putting everything on. They're going to want some sort of you know relationship where USA Rugby work with them in in in, in a mutually benefiting agreement, and them just you don't want to get to this club country divide like the UK have or like like England have at times where the, this dispute. I think I think
0: going forward, forget twenty one for a second. I think we're you know the this this spring and summer window. Should line up perfectly with you know, uh, you know, even playing uh, using your domestic players and playing in some uh, you know Uruguay's and Chili's and Argentina 15s in the January February windows, having a you know post Christmas you know early season camp and doing some of that stuff because and and you even have your national team players that can be brought over from overseas and playing that and then those guys can can play for the Premiership clubs and the top 14 during the Six Nations. And then you get right into a season that's uninterrupted. Parallels high school and college and all that kind of stuff. And then July. So do you start a little bit earlier and finish, you know, the first weekend in July, or have a two-week window? You break. They can plan for all that stuff maybe before. Look, MLR had to get off the ground, and nothing was planned for July. We're st- we're still talking now, and we don't know, right? We just we just had that conversation. So this year is a little bit of a of a hiccup, you know, and there might be that's the release window. So they might say, hey, I need your players for this week. And It's going to be difficult and one or two of the teams, maybe three or four are going to suffer, you know, in that run-in, particularly if you're looking for those last points or two to get into the top four in the playoff picture. It's, it's going to, that's what we're all going to be talking about, you know, in, in, in middle of June to late June and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, co- completely, because, you know, you don't want the MLR to, to all of a sudden be like this season, I, I completely get your argument is a, is a one off exception, but you don't want the MLR to become an issue where teams are trying to avoid picking up American players, because they're going to be missing for parts of the season. And Similar to like what happens in England sometimes, teams don't always want England players. They like the money they get from the RFU for them, but they don't always want them. So you kind of want to work out a structure, like you said, which can make complete sense to me, which tries to, to avoid that scenario as much as possible. because That's the last thing you want is, oh, we can't have two or three of our key big signings being Eagles or, or whatever because we're not going to have them in the run into the playoffs with we need to win games just to make it. So you got to find yeah, that balancing. there's balance
0: all there's all kinds of creative ways potentially to work around this. Do you, do you depending on where that two week or three week international window lands over the course of the next year or so, but do you do you finish the regular season and have a a bye week, then a quarterfinal, then a bye week, kind of like Six Nations where they bounce back and forth, right? You know, you know, and and you can meaning that bye week is one international that and you can. Or do you do a two week block and then play your playoffs, you know, um, after that, you know, you don't want to lose that momentum necessarily, but, you know, or you just start, you know, a week earlier, you know, and, and, and try to do all your stuff the the second half of July, but that, that's dependent on what, what they, how they play overseas too. Right. So I think they'll be able to create, create some windows, but uh, you know, that's, that's for
1: next year. And that's the thing, like your whole point is, yeah your whole point is so true is that like the only way this thing will work is collaboration on a domestic level and a global level otherwise there's going to be these clear pitfalls that teams find themselves in which really does you know it affects tier one nations but it is a huge impact for the tier two nations that are trying to have any sort of continuity and um you know don't have the financial you know pockets to just You know, buy their players back or the time windows or make it good with money, which some other unions have been able to do. Agreed. All right, Dan. I think that's a fascinating uh, segment for Eagle Watch. Um, I knew you'd deliver uh, with, you know, the guy in the know in in the American rugby scene is such a servant to the game and a pleasure to have you on the show as well. and, and, And I look forward to having you on again soon.
0: Yeah, this has been awesome.
1: Yeah, look forward to the next one. It's time for the MLR breakdown again. We couldn't do it with anyone else other than the one and only. That is my go to saying, how I introduce everyone, but Rob Hoadley. <laughs> uh, you know, three years coaching. I like thought a special calls. What's going on here? <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I mean it in a special way, but it seems to just be everyone gets the one and only because I only like, I only pick amazing people to be on the show. So <laughs> they all fall in that category. But back to the intro. Welcome to the breakdown, Rob Hoadley. Three, ta- three years with the San Diego Legion. Uh, Coach of the Year in the MLR, and you know one of the most passionate people about rugby in America. That I, I maybe up there with me. Uh, I, I'd say I'd say we're right <laughs> up there, just nosing each other off. But yeah. um, got to have you on the show, mate. And you know, round two is in the books. H- how are we doing?
3: Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, another great weekend. Um, yeah, and uh, sort of finding some things out here. after week one. You know, it's obviously knocking a bit of rust off. Uh, everyone's uh, come through some interesting preseason trials and tribulations. And um, you know, obviously, through the first few weeks, we're going to start seeing some trends. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been good watching, mate, and uh, excited to see what happens next. Uh, I bet, mate. I, I picture you just like in the
1: lab, like when the games are on, rugby network up, checking yeah, things, yeah. taking notes, like you
3: yeah, know, yeah. In, in full. Three command screens station. up, a notepad, and a baby screaming in the background. E- exactly. And a wife <laughs> wondering what I'm doing.
1: What what more do you need, mate? What more <laughs> do you, you need?
3: Um, but uh,
1: no, so. Overall thoughts of round of round two. I, I thought it was a bit of a step up in the quality of rugby. I think there was still a bit of, um, you know, there was so you could see a clear difference between certain games and, the, and certain teams across the league. But I think on a whole, I'd say the products moving forward. One more game, um, you know, a lot more less drive orientated yeah. for, forward orientated tribes this week in the league. Um, you know, just looking at it from a glance. Um, how, how did you find that sort of development as the, as this season sort of just getting underway?
3: Yeah, we looked at it last week, Hobbs, didn't we? I'm not, not sure we mentioned it on air, but um, I think if something around 36, no, 39 tries uh, last week in the, in the first week of play and 26 of them were from forwards, only 13 of them from backs, which short pre-season, it's going to be forward dominated, it's going to be harder to move the ball. Uh, so so that's going to be the case. Um, but we want to see the, game, the gameplay expand uh, and play to some more wider space. Uh, and that was that was the case. And uh, we'll talk one in particular I really enjoyed was the New England game when they were in a bit of a stalemate with Houston. It was 5-0 well into the second half. Uh, and they opened the game up with a couple of attacking kicks, which we haven't seen uh, up to this stage. Um, so I think that's a good um, a good adjustment by those guys for finding from finding the space uh, and led to a couple of great tries there.
1: No, absolutely. I I agree. I think the attacking rugby was better. I think the use of kicking to attack and not just for for uh, territory was was a big envelope. I thought um you know Free Jacks used that really well. Even that first try, um the, is it the Wakanobo, uh kick that he put through behind. I thought that was really clever play for them and, and, yeah. and a good way to open up a you know a, a Houston defense that is pretty aggressive and physical and 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 sometimes like you know kick you know using those kicks tactically to put the ball behind teams. Can be so valuable.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just slow the line speed, manipulate um, the fifteen to make him want to come into the line a bit slow, a um, bit slower. Uh, it happened in the Legion game as well because I think Dylan Owsley from fifteen uh, was covering the wide space and closing that channel down really well. Uh, and McGee put, put one in behind uh, Legion in the second half there, where Dylan was up early and they regathered Austin and it, it created an opportunity. So. um uh, you know, obviously, the longer teams spend together, Corbs, the more you're going to see um, things like that. And um, although it doesn't seem to take LA too, too long to spend together to be able to come up with a few ring wrinkles. Well,
1: well the, everyone says this, you know, spend too long together. But I, I think yeah, yeah. one thing people have to uh, that don't maybe see from the outside in of this LA team is that because of COVID and the force bubbling, um and the 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 ability they've had to go to maui to go to Oxnard, they've basically been in these training camps like you would have been a a, you know kid in a candy store getting your team for this long and um that's something that i want to try and get darren coleman to open up on the show is that you know the time together they've had like the bonds they've built the amount of time to get stuff like up and running to get on the same page to get learning and like completeness in their game plan done you know it's so evident now that you see that You know that is worth its weight in gold in this league. That time to sort of form those bonds and and form that framework, and the fact that they're a new team and they've done that early, uh, I think is a real credit to them. You know, touching on LA briefly, so many positives from that game. Such a big step up in intensity in in, in certain areas, but then still, uh, like like I know everyone in this league is so much to work on, so much to do, and you can't really get ahead of yourself. But you know, it was it was a really promising start, and and I think when the team clicks and you know, they get on the front foot, um, the framework there is, is is pretty
3: naughty. Yeah. Yeah, lots to come as well, I think. They, they, they could uh, get out of third gear, they'd be all right, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. So, and what you're telling us is, it's not just time together that's important, it's time together in Maui. Exactly, important. I think everyone should, I think all
1: camps should be warm weather now, from now <laughs> well, on, and none of this, yeah. you know, Wasp, Poland... Punish, yeah, 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 punishment yeah, yeah, yeah. of the day, of the you know, ball. like yeah. we, we, we punish ourselves the most, we win, it's, it's, we sun ourselves
3: the most, we win, but um, yeah, yeah. all right, let's it's get an into interesting the action. talking point though, in terms of, if we look at the teams, the surprising teams that struggle, I mean, we'll get into the games now in a second and, and work through the games and some of the detail, but if you, if, you know, we're joking a little bit there, but if you look at the surprising teams that have struggled, it's obviously Legion and the Arrows, um, so, so Toronto and San Diego have had disrupted pre-seasons. Uh, Toronto is very hard to get anything done in Canada so they have to take time away from their home base. Uh, San Diego have been busy setting up a uh, home in Vegas um, and you've got to think that's got to be a factor in their their performance in the first two weeks. And do you think it's just a lack of preparation
1: that factor or do you think and in, in, or is it a disruption is it a group that you know not being happy or not being able to be you know in these bubbles like especially like you know, obviously Maui was great, but not all these bubbles are great fun for anyone away from home, away yeah. from your family, the comforts, the routine. Especially if you have kids or a parent, like it's very disruptive to coaches and players. Um, I, I know it's it's not just time together; it's it's that sort of disruption. It, it can, I think, it is playing a factor.
3: Yeah, you you've hit the nail on the head, mate. I mean, it can be. Uh, you listen, camps are brutal, right? And they're tough, and it's hard time away. But as a player, you look back at some of your best memories. You know, you actually. You, typical human you, you actually forget the bad stuff and you remember the good stuff and it's going through the, those hardships are great if it's for a limited time and then you're going to come back home but if you're away from home all the time and as you say you're not seeing your family and you're not around your home comforts and when you're really going to the well and working as hard as you possibly can and you're not being able to come home and get that reset, reset it takes its toll now as we progress through the year you could find that san diego spending more time living together and going away on the road uh, uh, traveling and it's happened with toronto as well where they have their their big long road stint they actually find strength in that but uh it's it's pretty tough as well at start so it can go either way
1: no i i could see that because if you look at a team like um you know san diego do you think there's any chance that if if this se- the world does open back up that they go back, or do you think this Vegas thing is set for the season and that this is this is how
3: they're going to have to find no, that mate, it unity? It'll cost too much money. Uh, that's the reality at this stage. It'll cost too much money to come back to San Diego. I mean, it's it's, it's just not it's not going to happen. I think they have made the commitment. They're going to be out in Vegas, um, and as we say, mentally you can turn that into a, a strength or a weakness. But I, I think that group being together. A lot will be will be very good for them.
1: I agree, and I even think just finding a way to win in a tough game, uh, you know, when you're lo- losing, that is qu- quite a bonding, you know, uniting experience. When you're just in the trenches together and you dig yourself out, and you you sort of reflect, and as a team, you learn a lot of yourselves, and and you grow because you, you see yourselves actually, you know, respond under pressure and not and not the opposite. And I find that's quite a catalyst for like. A kick on in a season, and so for me, yeah, yeah. you know, we'll get into Legion's game, but I, but I think yeah. there's a lot of positives and a sign of a good team that even on their day, you you, you yeah. find a way. It Doesn't matter who gave you the the ins or the outs; it's it's what you do with them. And so
3: that's yeah. it, mate. And, and and you know, you pull out a win like that, and you're third in the table. You, I mean, LA have played well, but they can only they can only get five points in each game, so they can't get that far away from anyone in 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 two games. Plus, they got a buy next week, so people can go go out. Toronto, uh, Sorry, Utah certainly can go above them. Uh, then they've got a hard game going away to Toronto uh, the week after LA when they come back. So a lot can change in that two weeks. Co- completely.
1: And, and you know, this is the fact that, that LA and a lot of these teams, this is not as short a season as it's been traditionally the MLR. Mm. You're going to have to rotate squads. And I think yeah. squad depth and getting other guys reps and goes and picking the games where these guys play. Is is going to yep. be very very important. That's one thing I've noticed is a lot of teams already made quite a few rotations, be it front row or other areas in in round two, and are playing the long game. And I think from an LA point of view, we've we've been trying so hard to get everything focused and get the you know our, our actual play our best game or our best you know foot forward. That I think the next step is now going to be trusting and giving the guys uh, more more reps because that was probably the the biggest takeaway is is as. You know, Dave Dennis came off a few key players. There was yeah, yeah. A, a massive drop off in the sort of nuts and bolts and the in the function, the functionality of the game for for the Guiltinis and the way they were able to operate set piece in certain areas and the effect it had on ha, had on that sort of you know middle twenty of the second of the second half. And so, I think that is a balancing act. You know, I, 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 like I'm weighing it up massively at the moment. Is is when do you rotate your props? Like how soon? Yeah, yeah. But we had a bye week this week, so we kind yeah. of felt that it suited to get. Though, the get, most out of that front line. get the most out of that front line. Get this week yeah. now where the bubble's kind of ending in LA and now the guys are getting actually moving into their accommodation and stuff um, and yeah, now yeah. getting settled. We have this bye week to do that, regroup, get some more training done and then look ahead for the league. And that kind of gives us a reset where maybe we could go with the starters one more time and then start rotating, uh, rotating guys yeah. in as well.
3: Yeah, it's huge, mate. I mean, if you look in the first year, the most successful teams in MLR were the ones that used the, the least – amount of players so uh, Glendale and Seattle got to the final and they used fewer players than any other team but it was a much short season it was only a nine-game campaign Uh, so now you're going to have to have the depth that you're going to be you're going to be able to choose at times to rotate your starters and a lot of that is in blooding your young players and finding the right windows to give them 20 minutes 25 minutes 30 minutes here Uh, and, and sometimes it's forced upon you right so this week, Van der Merver's out, and who do you bring in? Ryan James. Fantastic to see Ryan James. He, you know, we'll talk about you oh, know no, American developing yeah, Listen, him. here's a guy that's been playing his trade. He's been traveling all over the country. We would love to have kept him at Legion, um, but he finds his way to LA. Right. All of a sudden, this bloke just studied, suddenly started a game, He's played 80 minutes, he scored a try at the Coliseum with Matt Gitto. And Adam Ashley Cooper and Billy Meeks in his backline. I mean, are you kidding me? It's, how good is that for that bloke? And how good is it for his family? He's got a wonderful family. And how good is that for American rugby? And and you know where you were, you know, thinking, is he, you know, is he going to be able to contribute? Is he going to be up to that level? Now you've seen it. Eighty minutes, you know it. And so you can be comfortable uh, putting him in, rotating. Uh, the, the older players are going to be more comfortable with him playing. So, I mean, that's one of the fe- standout features of the, the league this week. I think some of them young fellas getting their head in, uh, in, in the league. Mate, completely agree.
1: I think, I think it, what a wealth of opportunity. And, and this is what, you know, I feel like we're just going to have to roll into it. But when you talk about the development of American players, Now, the fact that you have a longer season, there is squad rotation, there's depth in the squads, there's big name players, this will have an accumulatory uh, development factor on these players and their environment because it's a tough one. And I'm sure you've sort of navigated these waters, um, you know, going forward is, is, you know, how much do you want to have an American spine in your team, but at the same time, Still have the depth, the competitiveness, like the, the on-field product. That it, it's very hard to, to, you know, go one or the other. It's kind of finding that balance in the middle where, you know, you're putting your best team on the field, you're developing American players, but you're also still have big-name internationals that people want to see the league. The product looks good, and it looks good on
3: TV. Yeah. Well, look, how many foreign players can you have in your squad? I believe well, we can have twelve. You can have twelve. Yeah. I think okay. it's ten, isn't it? i think okay, it's 10, ten to twelve. But you, but anyone can have twelve if they you know depending on how you negotiate trading and all the rest of it right you're highly likely to use in the course of this season over forty players so are we developing American players of course we are because what would those guys have been doing in the meantime well they certainly wouldn't have been playing with Matt Gitto, um at the Coliseum and the development of these young players it, you, you can't question it and I know people say oh, there shouldn't be so many foreigners and that. If you're saying there's there shouldn't be so many foreigners in the, in the team, firstly, what how are you even saying that to anyone? Why is anyone listening to you? They're only listening to your opinion because people are interested in our league and people are watching all over the world because we're putting out a decent product now. And I think it's just such an amazing opportunity for these young fellas to develop because half of them, I'm telling you, they'd be playing part-time rugby, they'd be going to work, and they're out the system. They're done. And if you look at... Um, um, the development some of these players. Let's go through it. Mooneyham, number one draft pick, starting for Austin. Aaron Matthews starting for Seattle. Ryan James starting for LA. Justin Johnson starting for New England. Uh, Mason Cook for uh, the AGs. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit, but I thought Cassano looked real sharp for the New England. Deontay Noble was playing for them. And the biggest thing, Corbs, that we've got to really seriously look at uh, is front row development. And... Uh, Mason Cox was starting there, and there's a few around. Uh, Brian Nolt, I think, was in the Nola on the Nola bench and got his debut. But halfbacks, mate, we've got to produce American halfbacks. To uh, and we're talking now about going up to the Eagles level and, and, and building the game here and working towards the World Cup that you know potentially bringing the World Cup to America. But you had Harrison Boyle, American qualified, playing for New England, young young uh, ten. Uh, Ryan Reese was on the bench for ATL, uh, scrum half. Uh, Pat Madden was on the bench for Legion. I think know they're developing him into a nine. And then you had your mate uh, Fabulas Dabu- Dabulas.
1: yeah, he's he's mate, coming he on, isn't it it on. He, he turned it on an American ten. And then I will add to that as well for the American tens, just in general. Luke Luke Carti, who is on the bench for for Sandy, uh, for LA Guillotines, is actually American yep. qualified as yep. well. I believe and a very handy another ten, which is. One of the areas that I think USA Rugby will be look, need to develop and having depth yeah. behind McGuinty, he's a player to watch in that factor. And that's a, that's a byproduct of the MLR. So you're going to unearth yeah. foreigners that fall into these spots for you uh, across the board because th- the league needs depth. The league is the ultimate opportunity for guys to use that American heritage or whatever the touchpoint is with America that allows them to play here to get the visa. And so on a whole, like, it, it's just a pull factor that you're unearthing all these players that you wouldn't even have before around yeah, yeah. the world that probably never would have come to America that like get the wheels motion other than calling yeah. Gary Gold and saying, hey, I've got yeah, a passport, yeah, yeah. I play, you know, grade two and wherever I'm based right now. Instead, you're actually yeah. here in the shop window getting to contribute and getting to play. Yeah. And I think long-term because that, that's the issue, nine, 10, uh, you know, line out calling second row,
3: yeah, good tight okay. head
1: scrummaging. Like those are the areas that we have to keep developing. Everything else we've got.
3: Uh, everything else we can cover those are the areas and then there's two ways of manipulating it like you say you you can have those guys um that have been brought up in another rugby system maybe have um different heritage that brings them back to america and then you can sort of fit them in and away you go but what i'm really interested in is how we develop the talent at the moment and now we've got kids that are coming out of the university system and they know that they're going to be MLR players. And, and when we start producing a level of halfbacks there that can control the game, and again, how is that game going to develop? It's being around these stars that have been, been around, seen the game. If you're sitting behind Joe Peterson or if you're sitting behind uh, Gitto or you're sitting behind Sam Windsor or any of these guys around the league, that's the really, really exciting part of uh, how we're developing the game. And for me, it's like 15 years ago, when you come to America, it's like, you didn't see too much soccer around. Then as you come back, you're seeing soccer fields and soccer players everywhere and you create soccer families. So that's what we need in rugby. Not, not people that converted at 15 years old from basketball or from, from whatever other sport, but rugby families. And if you have the product at the top end, where the parents are like, oh, okay, this is something you can actually do. This is something we can be proud of. You're going to wear the shirt, buy the shirt, wear the shirt around. You've got rugby families. And when you've got rugby families, they start playing at five, six, seven years old. Then you're going to create playmakers.
1: Uh, absolutely. And and that that is the, the long-term sort of cycle of the MLR is right now we need to take those internationals, fill them in because we have yep. to get USA Rugby up to the point that, you know, the gap yep. is as close as possible uh, for, for that tier two, tier one sort of, you know, Gap, like almost wasteland, you can fall into in rugby if it's yeah. too big a gap. And so we yeah, need those there. And then the long term benefit of the MLR is the pathway, is the fact that yeah. eventually there'll be kids from the ground up to uni, mm. to an international league, like to a, a, a league that thrives international players, and then beyond. You know, it might be eventually yeah. that the best Americans stay in the MLR instead of the best yeah. Americans right now go abroad.
3: Well, we've got them coming back, mate. I mean, Nick Savetta is now coming back to Rooney. It's going to be a huge pickup. Uh, Hanko was looking abroad and stayed. What? Cam Dolan's playing in Nola. Bryce Campbell um, uh, coming back Bryce Campbell come to Austin. Nate Augsburger had, you know, had options and he wanted to stay. So that's huge. That's huge for our game. And and, and then there's stories, mate, and I and I know two of them are there with you in LA, but like someone like Sony Turielemaca, um, Langy Langy, have Hapoeki, uh, those guys, again. They're, they're not doing anything if there isn't MLR. They're not doing anything in the sport where I'd be It's a huge loss because they're guys with great stories. They contribute. I know you've been enjoying working with them. You know, Shoni's just such a top man. Yeah, just, and um, and we want to see those guys thrive. Absolutely. And that's what got me,
1: you know, passionate in this role is the fact that, you know, I get hands-on able to help some of these guys. Yes, I love coaching and and the, all the all the games, all the players, all the aspects of it, but I get such a satisfaction. And the reason I... commit a lot of my time to this is the fact that you get to develop american players and and the the players like Sioni is is one to watch it's heartbreaking to me that he got injured in the last preseason game or he would be already a talking point in this league as as a potential diamond the rough discovery langley just played his first game and the impact and the commitment he has like this guy obviously to some people has a bad rep and and you know i I, i'm not around in that part or whatever the story but the langley i see now is a squad guy. He's committed. He's working hard, and he plays for his boys and his team. And he brings that physicality. And and him almost realizing that this is his last go round to make something of this rugby. And it's been yeah. it's been phenomenal to see him sort of grow into almost a leader in the squad as well. Like he 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 is really thriving mm. there. And I and I think if you know he just keeps you know the framework is there for him. He's learning every day. He's been you know good hands on detail. I think one of the things we have at LA is we have a decent bit of hands-on coaching for this league, which is sometimes very hard with a, a mm. startup mentality. And and you can see the progression of some of these players because we can't just focus on the on the starters or the starting pack at the time because one, obviously we need depth. But two, we need to actually have a pack or, or players that can train against our pack to actually keep the yeah. intensity and the and training right. So you're developing resources all around on these players and, and it is a massive benefit. And and guys that can almost, you know, these are guys that have the potential to be Samu Manoa 2.0 stories. Like it's, yeah, Lange yeah. still has innings in him. Sioni still has innings in him where they might go abroad or the next chapter of where this rugby dream, uh, you know, takes yeah. them and it wouldn't have happened otherwise.
3: Yeah, no, and that's... The most rewarding thing, and, you know, you, know, from, uh, you know, I obviously refer back to my experience at Legion. I hope I don't bore people with that too much. But, like, you know, you can throw people like Nathan Sylvia into that, you know, at head, who, again, a Cal Poly product, would not, I guess he wouldn't have been playing rugby by this stage because he's, he's a very smart bloke. Bringing Lou Stanfield back from not playing rugby. Uh, Chris Bauman's now uh, back in the game at Legion, you know. So now we're attracting back all these people that we were losing. There's a lot of talent there. Uh, and there's guys that are real, really improve so quickly. They were just wanting for that sort of coaching environment. Absolutely, and and that is one of the biggest, you know, positives of the
1: M.L.R. It's just the environment, the, the opportunity in the environment. Okay, yeah. let's get, jump into the games. Let's get into the games, mate. Let's <laughs> let's crack these out. What we can't help it. All right, so I'll let you take yeah, it yeah. away with the first one.
3: Okay, so we started with uh, Rooney Nola. Okay, so you you can't. Go back on what you're thinking. Be honest. What did you think was going to happen in this game? I. And you can't say 51 28. No, no,
1: it's not. It's not what I expected to happen. Uh, I didn't expect that to happen at all. I um, I expected it was a 50 50 game. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it could have gone either way with, with like one team looking to attack all the time. I, I thought Rooney. I, I I thought Rooney had a good chance, but I just thought Nola at home, Rooney double on the road. I I just favoured probably Nola was my instinct. But what I what I took away from watching this game was that you know they were quite well matched and and I and I felt like those intercept tries of of Rooney you know a byproduct of Rooney just overplaying in their own half unnecessarily was yeah. was the difference maker between the two teams it opened a gap and in a back yeah. and forth in a back and forward game it just created yeah, yeah. A, a, a Rooney having to chase a bit more and 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 it meant that eventually like. Nola's relentlessness of just keep going, keep going, like always yeah, looking yeah. to attack, and both teams leaking points. It was those intercept tries that created almost just too much of a gap for Rooney to get back into the game. Because if you took those away, uh, I reckon you're level till till near the end, and someone yeah. and it comes down to the wire who takes it.
3: Yeah, it was interesting, mate, watching because I think you, you're watching at times. You're like, why are Rooney running from there? Like, what what are they trying to achieve here? Because uh, and it's, it's really interesting to see the, the, the approach to the game so you've got to think they were running it from everywhere right and they were losing at half time but only just right they'd come back within about four points at half time and I'm thinking are you are going to win this game because more important I felt at half time more important almost than the scoreboard was the amount of tackles that Nola had made and the amount of penalties that Nola had given away and I think that uh, Rooney were gambling on the fact that although they had the long travel, the, the games the week before, the, the Legion game for Rooney wasn't that taxing. It was it was somewhat physical, but the ball in play was very low. And the Nola Old Glory game, the ball in play was probably about seven minutes longer. And I, I think Rooney were approaching the game thinking, Nola are going to fall away here. They've already made a load of tackles in the first half. They've given a load of penalties away. And you felt like Rooney, if they could just execute, they could break the hearts of Nola here. But then just you, can't, you can't do it if you have two interceptions and you knock the ball on 30 metres from your line and they score from that. Because it's all about energy systems. Rooney's plan was to drain the Nola energy system, but they ended up with their poor execution. They drained their own energy system because you can't recover from that. And, and you've got to think, how do Nola want to play the game? Nola want to play that game. So if again, energy systems, what you want to do is take, take a team out of its comfort zone so that when they try the things they want to do and it's not working for them, not only is it not working for them, but they can't work it out. Why is this not working for us? So against NOLA, I would have thought you want to probably play a bit more territory. You want to pin them back and challenge their set pieces and make it very, very difficult for them to exit. Then they'll start forcing things. But it was New York, without were trying to force them themselves without having put the pressure on Nola. So, um, yeah, tricky one there. I did, and I don't think they could, they could have probably possibly changed it up. They wanted to back their plan, but it wasn't working. And they, they did, probably didn't have a, a sort of plan B there. And then again, I think the travel did catch up with them. You know, speaking of Steve Lewis,
1: their, their mindset was two of these three. If they win two of these three first road games, they, they would take that yeah. as a win. And I guess maybe as that game got deep in the second half and, yeah. It was going to take a real heavy lift. You're almost like, in in my mind, I mentally go, all right, next one's our, our, our is our second win. And this one might be just got too far away from us, from from those errors. All right, next game.
3: What have we got? Old Glory ATL. So, a 30-23 win for Old Glory. Um, talking points, I think, um, obviously, uh, probably the biggest thing going into the game is the 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 missing tens. So Kurt Coleman for ATL um, and Jason Robertson for Old Glory. They're the main men really pulling the strings there. So I think Old Glory experimented with Tusitala going to 10.
1: Just wasn't the move for them, was it?
3: It's so tough when he's he's the player of the week.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and just position. the difference in their game when he went back to nine, like just yeah. the tempo he brings, the front foot, the, the spark that he is in attack. The game them. changed it. Yeah. Like it was, to me, that was the catalyst that won them the game. Neck and neck. He goes back to nine and, you know, the rest is history of what he does. And oh, he needs a tiny bit of space, a tiny little bit of, of time on the ball. Like he he's a magical player and, and, like what what a player for the MLR. Like must see TV. He reminds me so much of like almost Khan Fotelihi used to be for, for, Saints. for Saints, like when he was a Samoa yeah. Samoa nine as well. Yeah. Just that ability to be physical in the tackle, good yeah. over the ball, amazing like sort of spatial awareness of, of when to actually play, and then just dangerous with ball like the absolute threat with ball in hand as well, that you kinda of have all the attributes. It's it's a very impressive, uh, impressive nine they've got there.
3: Yeah, and I think the whole environment that Andrew Douglas has created there. Um, the the thing I love about them, again, talk about a bold move. He's brought Fabulous Dabulas on. Um, that's that's a bold move. He's put the young fella in. You you worked with him, did you? I I did. Sorry, Fabulous Dabulas. Still getting. I still can't. I can't say it right. I always stumble slightly. Fabulous, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So it's Fabulous Dabulas. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulas Dabulas. Yeah. He um,
1: mate, so he's he's another player. So he is his dad is the, the has been a rugby coach at Rutgers University. He went to Penn State. He's an American rugby kid who's grown up playing the game from, from young. And and so he I always felt like at Penn State he was a diamond in the rough. Like he, he yeah. just needed more coaching, needed a next level up of environment to actually run mm-hmm. a game at 10. I think was probably the biggest thing holding back. But from a kicking point, from a catch pass, from a tackle, from a rugby understanding he was you know definitely a uh, destined for the MLR for me it was to play 10 you had to be, you had to sort of you know learn some of this and get schooled up and and he seems to you know to get trusted on to come on there where the game's on the line that was a yep. massive call and, and it helped shift the game for them
3: it did shift the game and again I, I just again want to give a lot of credit to Andrew Douglas it's difficult coming in as a, a foreign coach and going straight into the league because there's so much it's it's not like coaching in other leagues. It, it's getting every year. It gets more so actually now, but um, in the past it's been you've got to know the American landscape. It's very difficult, and you've got to know where to pick up the right players. You've got to know how to blood them and all the rest of it. And Andrew Douglas is a fantastic a uh, job there. And again, he had uh, Deontay Noble and Cassano on the wings uh, at the end of the game. So he's really got the young blood out there, um, and he's doing a great job. I, I I believe, and I think I've just kind of like made this up without checking it, but I think he's the winningest coach in MLR by win percentage. LA don't count because so they've only played two games. I think he's only lost, they only lost one game last year, one or two. I think and one, then he's unbeat- it was one game. One.
1: And exactly. Even with a leaky scrum, they, they, I yeah. think they only lost one exactly. game. Like some of the results they got last year with, without all the pieces, and it comes from their attack, mate. Like yeah. flat, play at tempo. Mm-hmm. Move the yeah. ball, point to contact. Move got a bit of power in, in the centre as well yeah. with um, Threaten. with Threaten Palomo there. It just you know it, it kind of it, the, the team's very well balanced. Like I, I like I like the look of their attack and um, yeah and, and I think you know set piece wise they look way better than they did last year as well. Like it's they're yeah. going to be a tough out. They they are going to be. A really tough. tough
3: really Yeah, really interested to see how they progress this year. Because the East is looking pretty tasty and competitive, so I'm really interested. And just a word on ATL; it's a bit unfair, you know. We're talking a lot about Old Glory, but um, they were looking for their second win after upsetting Toronto. Just a note on them: that obviously they've got the South African spine, right, which is affected now with Coleman being out. But Monson is a fantastic leader, in, in, in and in, he he everything operates around him. I mean, he comes off the line in defence, and the the, the defence is the talking point for ATL because they 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 blanked. Toronto in the second half and then they didn't concede a try in the first half so they went, they went 80 minutes basically without conceding a try and then they fell off somewhat in the second half but that, um, that defence at ATL was pretty legit and uh, it was last year and uh, and and they've they've set off well again this year. I I agree. I
1: think the defense and the organization, the line speed, the reset, and it, it's only a, it's early days for them. Not lots of preseason. That's only going to get yeah. stronger as you get more games, more fitness, more reps. And so that is a a massive factor because, like, it just takes time to be able to defend like that. You can't just be a team that go overnight. We're just going to come with. Relentless line speed over and yeah. over again. It comes with a yeah, deep yeah. understanding of like getting set early, getting the spacing, yeah, yeah. the work off the ball, and then the reading and, and then being able to actually that real time decision making. Because if you're coming off the line and putting pressure on players, you're putting pressure on yourself as the defender as well. And, and that is not something we can do overnight. At LA, we've, we, I feel like we're only just getting to the point where we feel comfortable letting guys off the line and going yeah. hard because we just weren't organized enough yet. And because they've had that continuity, their yeah. whole game looks very well. Their kick strategy, the way yeah. they exit, the way they're yeah. and defense. Mate, they're, like Scott Lawrence is a smart man. And, yeah. and you can see that this is a well thought out operation there and it's one of their points yeah. of difference is is that sort of understanding of, of being on program almost.
3: Yeah, and we can talk more in depth another week about how, how basically how you build your organization and your you define your game model and your philosophies. And so if we watch NOLA and definitely Rooney now this year, They've got a game model around looking for space all over the field and trying to run it first. Atlanta, in a more traditional sense, I think, build from a kicking kicking game and being happy to defend. And traditionally, that's the easier probably building blocks. Um, But again, in this league, things are thrown on the head slightly because you need bonus points in this league. You need scoring bonus points because there's a lot of them out there. So if you're not getting scoring bonus points, you're not you're going to lose potential points in the, in the league table um but atlanta have built from that solid foundation and i think you're right You need consistency probably and continuity in your squad to be confident to do that because it's it's high risk high reward absolutely defensively me. absolutely all right next game hit me rob what we got here in the where we're we going free
1: jacks houston let's go i watched New <laughs> I watched most of the, I watched the first half and then until it started to glitch a little bit in the second half and so mm-hmm. this is my summarization of the game in a nutshell. I could not believe Houston had not converted some points in that first half. I, I feel like they've done 70 80 90 95% of what it took to score at some points. Their forward platform that you know they had free jacks on the ropes at times but zero points away from that. And and I I feel like to me a lot of that comes from the lack of not having Devet Roos there. Um, yeah. I, I, yes, the, the new nine's quite handy. It's just Devet Roos is a heartbeat of that team. When he gets that mm. armchair ride from the forwards, he is the spark that brings that team to come alive. And without him missing there, they just didn't capitalize the dominance in the first half. They actually went, you know, after a lot of hard work, a lot of expenditure, spent, uh, you know, a lot of hours and, and reps. Actually, at the half, they were down. And then at the time, then Free Jacks struck again, and that was a straw that broke their back in my mind. Oh, yeah. Is after you've expended all that energy, you're already behind. Then a the team gets a, another yeah. try. You all of a sudden you just you, you just you're just gone.
3: Yeah, and uh, you're talking about not finishing chances. The Free Jacks captain Larson and their ten were, were in the uh, in the simbin, and against thirteen, they didn't come up with any points. I mean, that's the story of the game. I mean, that's good night, Irene. You're not coming back from that. I mean. Uh, even I think Austin had some chances in the similar vein, but I mean, that's, that's all she wrote really. I, I mean, Dougie Fife <laughs> had a great game. Oh uh, wait, quite... what about
1: his finish? That little pickup for that. Was it the first try?
3: Yeah. yeah he was gone. That was class yeah, 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 yeah,
1: class. yeah. You can't, you can't That's, good. That.
3: that's nice when you can finish uh, going in uh, first gear and you're walking over the line.
1: It's funny rugby was that fun for when I played. <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, I just don't yeah, have I these know. moments or whatever. I was, felt like yeah, I was in yeah.
3: gear five, even
1: just to, yeah, just trying, just, trying, just to, trying to be in there. Trying to be in there. All right.
3: Enough said Um, of that game. I think everyone agrees. So what what have we got next? um, What are we going? Utah, Toronto. So Utah, 39, Toronto, 24. Fantastic result for Utah. Uh, Puts them in second place behind uh, LA only on uh, uh, bonus points and points difference. Um, but what do you think of that one Corbs and, 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 and a more detailed question what do you think of Maholo the, um, the Utah hooker he's, he's a hell of a ball carrier
1: like, he's, he, yeah? he's explosive I don't know too much about him of, of where he comes from
3: he, he was in uh, I think he was at Centauri, but I don't know how much he played there and he was he played I think he's got two games for the Rebels in Super Rugby uh, and played maybe Aussie age grade but I've been really impressed. I think he's probably the best hooker in the comp at the moment
1: Awesome. Yeah, I thought he made a big impact. And my thoughts on Utah are that it really, for me, they have hit the ground running. Uh, I think yep. they're a well-oiled machine. Like you can see continuity there. They have explosive ball carriers that get the momentum. Defensively, they look fitter and better drilled than they've ever looked in this competition. Yeah. And and I feel like they're a handful for teams. You know, they've got some experience in the set piece with guys like Paul Mullen rocking about as well. And then and and you've got a team that that can play. Like I think you know that they've had. I think with the COVID interruptions they're one of the teams that have had quite a lot of time together still they have their own they had their own training facility they're able to bubble like they had a pretty good environment to get a fair bit of work done and that's paying dividends in these early rounds because i just feel like they're you know a bit you know they further gear or two into the season than some of the other teams that they've played
3: yeah and you've got to give big credit to sean Pittman and sean davies there like atlanta Benefiting probably from exposure to Gary Gold at the national level, because all those coaches they've coached with Gary Gold, so that's a, another really important part of MLR is the coach development, uh, and so you've got American uh, coaches there coming through the system that have worked with the best in the world. Um, so, and a note on that, a lot you know, seeing Sean's imprint on the game was that they scored off a lineout drives, but they also scored off a lineout peel where they went back inside and they scored off a line-out drive where they broke out to the short side. So because they're doing so well at the drive, it's drawing uh, defenders in and then they've, they've got a bit of creativity to find other space around that. So I thought that was a, a, a nice a nice um, sort of imprint of uh, Pittman's game on, on, on no, Utah. I, I
1: think Utah's variation off that, you know, the threat, the more, and I think that is the name of the game, you know, make teams respect the more and the threat and then it open as they commit numbers to the mall it's just like attacking if you you run a hard line and people buy it on your hard line there's space somewhere else that you've created and the mall was very similar that yes you can use it as route one dominance and if you are the best at it you can just keep going to the well and it can be quite relentless that teams have but the the variety and the way it opens up and la used some some clever variety off off that too i thought which was which was pretty beneficial that 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 is a that, to me, is, is the layers on the game you need in a long season to, to be able to, you know, to, to have consistency across the season that you can't just have be a one-trick pony because eventually teams will fu- fu- uh, figure you out.
3: Yeah, and I think more so, again, you, you possibly could have been a one-trick pony at the start of MLR, but now it's, you know, yeah. you need that variation. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> part of the yeah. development of the league. When you were yeah, start-up year one what or two, that, like,
1: you were just happy to have, yeah. you know, one way to play that you got down. Yeah. Now it's, it's actually... Mean, yeah. The, the yeah, exactly. And of the I think
3: Luke, Luke White will have enjoyed. You're talking about that uh, that lineup peel back inside. I think he felt like Mike Teo because Mike has got a similar try. Yeah. And I think Luke White thought he was moving a bit faster than no, Mikey Tio. Luke, Luke White, uh,
1: you know, let's get on to this LA game. Uh, should we? Should we crack on with that one?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, just, well, let's just cover Legion first. Yeah. Let's we'll do it. I only because I want to rave about Luke White. I'm jumping in. But yeah. So <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll right. go to the Lu- Legion game. Okay. So we had Austin uh, 11, Legion 14. I know uh, you were playing at the same time, so I wouldn't have seen a lot of it. But um, a re- yeah, it was tough to watch, actually. It was, tough. It was a hard slog, that game. And uh, the story of the game really was that Austin were 11 nil up with about 20 minutes to go. Larson came off the bench, scored a good try for Legion, but they really hadn't created much. Legion had almost a, a brand-new backline because uh, Inglesias came in, jo- Joe Peterson came back for his first game, but brand new nine in Donation, who I know Testy is, is high on Denation. He thinks he'll play f- for the uh, Eagles. Joe in for his first game. Inglacy's first game uh, at 12. Um, Cam Clark in his second game uh, at 13. Uh, Dylan Orsley moved back to 15. Uh, Basson, his first start on the wing. That back line just didn't click. They did, the, the timing wasn't there for whatever reason. They haven't spent time together. We've talked about that a lot. But... It, it just didn't click, and they weren't producing anything. Austin were working hard, but not a lot of quality. And then, with five minutes to go, they've got a line out on Legion's line. They over they overthrow it, and Legion go the length. And you're like, how many how many ways can you find to lose a game? It was unbelievable, mate. It was you've heard of who wants to win it more? It was who wants to lose a game more? It's, it was unbelievable. And, and this is one of the things, you know,
1: like Austin. I I had I thought in preseason they actually looked pretty good and then in the two games so far they've yet to find their their stride and I uh, you know the, the legion they're just not like you said 100% back to like the continuity of the team they were and that's a lot of chop and change limited time to get yeah. ready and then also, I I think, you know, other teams are better too. Like, I think sometimes as well, yeah. Legion last year just looked so much better prepared than everyone, when mm. now it, yeah. that sort of gap has definitely been brought closer. And so, like, yeah. it, it's a combination of factors, because when you watch them, there's times where they do certain things. You go, mate, they're going to be good. Like, you can't deny yeah. that they're a good team, but the results yeah. maybe aren't quite giving them that this yeah. early on.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what develops there. I mean, there was something... Uh, Slightly off, the body language is a bit different. They were losing collisions in a way you don't normally see. Um, I think they were potentially not as efficient at the attacking ruck as you'd like to see. They were sometimes there'll be a three man clean, the ball presentation wasn't too tidy to play away fast, so then they were losing a bit of shape in attack. Uh, they, they were running out of attacking options because they weren't too efficient at the ruck. Um, but like you said at the start, sometimes that that win, like. Fair play. they. I mean, again, Austin should have won it at the end because they were attacking on the Legion line and Legion had Larson in the bin, so they're attacking against 14, but Legion pulled it off. And it, it, again, uh, sometimes you look at LA down the road scoring 40 and 50 points and you're like, whoa, there's a big... It looks like two different sports being played there, really, the first two weeks. But at a point, it doesn't matter when you look back in the season and you say, well, they're only in the table, there's only a few points exactly. different. Exactly, that's
1: the thing. That LA you're don't talking.
3: play this week legion do play this week so they could be above them by the time la come to play and then la go away to toronto who may beat them uh, so it, it's very early it's so hard to tell and, and this
1: is the thing like it doesn't matter the results are all that matter right now it's it's about how teams peak and progress to that like round 18 last week and then you go into the playoffs and and that is really going to be the name of this Where yes yeah. la and i think that's one of the messages of us not It has to be massive in this team. In the team, is of not being complacent because we're winning. Because other teams are going to improve dramatically by eventually getting that accumulation of time together that I feel we have benefited from. So, Rob, mate, what's our next
3: game? LA Giltini's fifty-seven, Seattle SeaWolves twenty-six.
1: It was a good one, it was a good one. And before we get into it, we actually have a American Rugby Show MLR Breakdown exclusive. We have post-match reaction from Matt Gitto. <laughs> post-match with Matt Gitto, American Rugby Show. Matt Gitto, your debut here. Uh, thoughts on the win today? Well, first thing, I want to thank you, Court,
3: for having me uh, on your show. Yeah, it's good. I mean, we got uh, we got the points that we wanted. There's still a lot, lot to work on, but also, you know, we're very happy. We got the five points against the reigning champions, so it was good.
1: Yeah, flash start. on um, you know, a personal level. How did you feel about your game out there today?
3: Yeah, pretty good. I think like everyone. Um, you know, we did some good things, I did some good things, there's also some work on as well, so that's good. You know, you're always chasing that perfect
1: game. Exactly. I, you know, what, what were your thoughts on your goal kicking? You know, not not the Matt Guitto that we, we saw in round one. Yeah, just a little bit off, I don't know, couldn't find my rhythm. Um, but thankfully, you know, I still got 5-7, and seven, but As I said, you you want to be striking him a little bit more purely. So I'll work on that and be better for round four. Absolutely, and you've got a bye uh, round next week, and then into. So, what's the focus on this week coming, and then into the next week against Toronto? Well, well, my focus is my wife comes on Tuesday, so you know where my focus is. Beautiful, love to see it, mate.
0: Great game today.
1: Cheers, thanks, boys. So there was the the big man himself uh, post match interview, and uh, you know what, what? What did you think of the game?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, they started off uh, where they left last week, 99 points in two games. That's a decent start, isn't it? Um, And again, like we were talking about earlier, lots of variation. I think the big thing, Corbis, that stands out for me watching the two games on Sunday night was um, the LA-Austin game. It looked like they were playing in a porridge or something because it was so slow. Like, there were so many stoppages. The ball in play was so low. And then you turn over to LA... And they're just playing at a completely different speed. And like, it's not. sometimes we can overcomplicate the game. When you, when you speak to the best coaches, they have a, a, an amazing knack of simplifying the game. Um, and a conversation that always stands out in my head is with the Saracens coaches. And they say what an emphasis in how they train running hard onto the ball. And it's like, okay, we've all got this concept that you should run hard onto the ball. But it, they make it fun, front and foremost of everything they do. And you get pulled up. If you don't run hard onto the ball, you get pulled up. Like the coaches uh, want to know what's going on. Absolutely, It's the attention L.A., steam onto the ball. And you, again, you're looking at giving yourself energy and taking energy away from the opposition. The attack, by nature, has an advantage over the defense of getting to the gain line because they have a run-up. The defense doesn't have a run-up. They have to wait behind the offside line. But L.A. take advantage of that every time, and they've always got three real threats to play to. So even when they're playing off Goddard at nine, who, who looks sharp, even when they're bringing runners off him, he's still got three threats to play to. So there's a the ball carrier and at least two carrying threats. And when they're doing that consistently and producing fast ball, the defense just doesn't have time to reset
1: absolutely i think you know when there was parts in that first half where la clicked and i was pitch side you know shouting scrum you know feedback to lads and everything getting all riled up in that push harder push exactly basically uh, just making ads earn their, earn their earn their feed as such as i call it but um it was just the fact when they got on the front foot and and i think the carrying was such a, a level up from from the week before and the, and the time on the ball and you know we're we, la have great framework and detail from darren coleman and the way he wants to attack and it's 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 prescribed but it's good detail like it's very and it, it allows uh, a team in a short period of time to adopt a framework that they can work within very well but then like you've got other detail like dave dennis has just brought a lot of the attention to detail of what exeter do on those carries and on those mm. overs lines and how you get momentum and just seeing guys like you know jp smith carry you know they like the, the, the accumulation of carriers luke white's carrying like uh, oh my god he had a big game for la when you talk about all the big name stars man of the match mm-hmm. was actually american qualified sort of absolute graft the second row who carried like a back row you know mm-hmm. fought hard at the mall scrummed his, 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 his scrummed his nuts off it's <laughs> in my language but like it was um you know it was a really complete game at times and it was yeah. only when you know, they made some changes. There was also yellow cards that affected things as well, where they lost their you know, their set piece and and, and the gather on that part of the game, and that allowed Seattle into the game. Otherwise, that could have been an absolute whitewash because when when L.A. were on script, it, they were making it look very easy to finish. Like it was – they were winning yeah. collisions, quick ball, quick ball. When you've got yeah. Goddard and Gitto controlling the strings, you have two clever paymakers – You know, reading the tempo of the game, the the time on the ball and and all those factors, it just accumulates to such a difference in the game.
3: Yeah, I think um, one of the points I just pick up on you, because you've got the detail from inside the camp there, which is really telling, what you picked up from Dave Dennis about the lines they're running. Everyone's got their hips upfield and they're running either straight or out to in. And defenders have got to sit on them. We talked about Billy Billy Meeks last week doing the same in the midfield. But you have to respect that runner and the timing. That's again, just looking at the contrast between um, the, the game played half an hour before. Legion, they had a new nine in, right? So they're used to running off Nate, but the forwards were arriving fractionally too early to yeah. the nine and having to check their run, or then they were having to pass behind them. But the t- the release timing of LA is really, really noticeable. That they're just all flying onto the ball, and I, I think I think it was the. Uh, Fifth try, they went through a lot of phases, uh, or, or, or the fifth or the sixth try. So they went midfield, hard. Yeah. Round the corner, hard. Round the corner, hard. All at speed. So by the time of that third uh, ruck, what's going to happen there is that the LA backs are getting trapped between that ruck and the far touchline. OK, so now all you've got is your tight five trying to reset in the middle of the field. You might have a second row or a back row out wide and a winger. Yeah, but your backs are trapped on the, on, the, on the wrong side. In the time that all that's happening, the LA centers, centers have hit it up first. They've got back and they're sitting back from where they came from. So then they have two waves of attack. Now they can go all the way wide on the next phase. And again, it's two layers of release timing. Because if a team from the sideline or near the sideline there, about 20, 15 minutes from the sideline, wants to come up with line speed, you have to almost pass two deep passes before you can go flat. So with your deep passes, you're drawing defence up into a no-man's land. They're trying to come hard, but they can't get you man and ball. But they're narrow. And they're forwards. So it's the deep, deep, then the next flat pass gets outside you, and you've got a poor second row or back row trying to defend against backs. And the speed that that happens, Seattle just weren't able to uh, um, reload their defensive numbers.
1: No, I I agree, mate. I I think you you nailed it. That sort of layered attack, let a time on the ball, which was all created by good carries. Like you can't attack like that if you aren't getting on the front foot. Like rugby doesn't work that way without that. And that's what I thought. It all started with those carries. That layered and time and having multiple halfbacks that can and playmakers in that team that can facilitate the attack was big. What was glaring is though is that there's no substitute for you know for set piece territory when Seattle actually gained got on the front foot. You see why they've been successful in this league. They know how to score tries, they know their style of rugby. If they get those direct carries and you let them into your 22 – and they're on the front foot. They're clever. The kicking game's pretty handy. And, you know, they know how to scrum maul, and take you on if you, if you allow them that control. And that was probably the frustrating thing on the sideline was how quickly it went from absolutely like almost looking like a team run to almost a complete opposite. Yes, they regathered, but I think that's got to be where the analysis and, and the deconstructing of what were the key factors and why, when we were put in this part of the game, could we not excel? But when we were in our part of the game, we were comfortable. We excelled to here. And how do we, you know, negate this yeah. from happening in in, in future, uh, you know, games? Is has got to be some of the lessons learned? But you know, the, mate, there were some unbelievable tries. Uh, the Coliseum is such um, a spectacle to to be at. And I think the b- the big thing is is how LA play now, not in that venue. We've o- they've only ever played. We've only ever seen them. We've only ever played yeah. in that venue. And I think being able to adapt the game style to a narrower pitch or a windier game or, you know, a slower pitch, those are going to be the ways that this season is, is, is won or lost is by having that flexibility and, in and, and understanding that only half our games will be at the Coliseum and we will have to deal with a lot more, you know, different factors in, in those games because you just, i like, have never stepped on a surface like the Coliseum. Like I almost just want to take yeah. you there for you to walk on it and see how nice yeah, the yeah, is. No, like, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just mind blowing. And when that venue eventually has fans, like, That's where you got to do the final. That's where it's got to be going down. The branding looks amazing. It's iconic. The music is cool as hell. Like it's an absolute (laughs) atmosphere on a game day. Like I really think you could do you could do the whole thing there. Like I know, obviously, San Diego are set in Vegas. If I was Commissioner Corbs was here, I'd be saying (laughs) let's do double headers, lads. Let's let's yeah. sell uh, two tickets here and make it more of an event. Great show. Go pink and yeah, blue. Yeah. Go red and black on the lights. Yeah. yeah. And and let's yeah. you know and let's actually make it an event or something because it is it is it is the place, mate. I like my eyes light up as a, I would have run out and played that game once I watched the warm up. Yeah, yeah. I got there. I yeah. rushed, finished with NBC in the morning, got there, had to sort out a bunch of stuff at home, got in the car, took like three hours of traffic to get to the Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah. Got there just as the warm the warm up was getting ready to start. I was absolutely. You know, like in my head, like I'm knackered. as soon as I got there, it was like someone gave me an adrenaline shot, like stadium, the warm-up, the fact they yeah, yeah. game and then being on the sideline, I was just like it it was it was almost like a drug, like it was unreal, like how the feeling it gave.
3: Yeah, we've um remember course back in at home where um we started playing regular season games at Twickenham and uh Wembley, right? And and we were like Wow, rugby is going to a new level here. This is crazy, and now it's kind of like okay, it's the norm. You get you get like eight to ten Premiership games a year with like sixty 000 to eighty thousand people there, where they do these these yeah, big no, events. It, it, it's just the norm. It's, right? it's a
1: spectacle now. Like you have to sell something special, but it has that yeah.
3: potential, and the fans look forward to it. But this is what we've been, uh, you know, at Legion, we were selling our players on a vision of like we we would go, th- we would literally put up on the board. It, when I started playing the a picture of the premiership rugby grounds, I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Like their sheds and stuff, yeah. like Sudbury. And no, it, I, remember so them, cool. I remember them, mate. And then we would, we would put up, literally, the attendances, the record attendances by per year. And it goes from like 10,000 to 15,000. And then all of a sudden, it's like 60,000, 80,000. And then there's eight games with 80,000. And we're like, lads, We're building towards this. Like, it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem possible. But this is the... Because we're asking for a commitment beyond really what we're giving you and financially and all the rest of it. But we want you to buy into something so special. And you don't understand, like... Because you're talking to players that, again, would have been going into a job or would have been part-time. Make this commitment for a couple of years and you're going to be playing. We didn't think it would come this quick, but you could be playing in the Coliseum. And hopefully, hopefully... 80,000 in the Coliseum at one stage, you know, coming up. It,
1: honestly, could you imagine like one day, but it, th- that's where the league happen. has got to go. It's like, it's and the fact they have this venue and they have an owner that's willing to, you know, put on this production value. I would use it. I would use it. I know oh, it's yeah. going to be tough because the ownership groups is always going to be like guys who've been this in from the beginning or guys who've committed a, yeah, a yeah. lot and then seeing other guys come in late and, you know, taking it maybe to a financial level that you weren't sure if that was where you wanted. To. I understand the tensions, but yeah. the, the, the collective, you know, partnering and, you know, using each other as collectivizing as a strength for me is the model to get MLR to the next level. Like if, yeah, if sure. this was a tough COVID time and say, hypothetically, I would have say bubble and play all the games at Coliseum make it look amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like it, having that venue is an X factor to your league. It looks good on TV. You can sell it internationally. Like there's no issue with that being aired on a, on Sky Sports, on, you know, Sky New Zealand or whatever. It looks the business, even with or without fans, it looks unreal. So I feel like getting on board with this is is a massive, you know, it's only going to, it's only going to raise the level of everyone else. And it's not a competition within the ownership groups. It should be like a struggle of working together to get everyone there.
3: Well, listen, we can easily. (laughs) That's another podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's another. Well, we can answer for every single player in rain, cold, wind crap in england every single rugby player in england and i'm sure all over the europe and all over the world looks at and goes i want to play for la exactly
1: mate phones already phones are i just fold this phone's already popping off you know free. yeah that's coach, great for me. coach corbs call him up mate everyone's yeah. up wanting to know what's going on and it's true it's no like yeah. secret or magic thing like you guys did it at Legion first you built this product that everyone wanted to come to san diego and then you get to recruit better and it's easier and you build something and it's the same factor in la i would say maybe it's just been raised to a new intensity with the resources that the ownership group is given
3: yeah no it's uh it's you guys are doing a great job for the league and it's going to build the competition and uh it's going to be uh it's going to be great when you know you get into a real fight in the game as well We see and i think we've mentioned it a couple of times but that could be a way at toronto because i mean they got they, they got to find their groove and that's the that's the hardest trip in the league and uh, by the time they come to that game la they may be third in the in the west uh, exactly Utah and Legion could be above them by then.
1: And, you know, Toronto are going to have more game time, LA, yeah. it, The more download week this week, and then, you know, back into a normal game next week. It's just a lot of variables, and you imagine a lot of narrowing in, in, in where the teams are, which makes it more competitive for everyone.
3: Yeah. All right, mate. So, on that, mate, just quickly then, um, East v West. Ooh. What are you thinking at the moment? Because so next week, if we just run through it, we've got Utah going to New England. Yeah. We've got Toronto going to Old Glory. Good, good battle of the East there. Legion going to ATL and Houston v Austin. So in terms of uh, uh, East v West clashes, we've got Utah going to New England and Legion going to ATL. So I think there's only four games next week. I I think after that, we will have a, a real, real insight into the strength of the East and the West because if legion and what utah going away to those uh games in the east don't do well the west is looking weak
1: yeah, it it depends the competitiveness of the east is 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 without a doubt a, a, a factor you just the the, the the teams match up better there's much more parity you know for me obviously la right now and the west are standing alone but then it, uh, it yeah. it's up to see where san diego get to um yeah. you know utah seattle i feel are going to are going to be a bit below and and so it really puts an emphasis on san diego and utah to deliver there
3: yeah yeah and so it's you 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 expect i say at this stage la's lazy i, think, LA's the I cream. think the free
1: jacks get, if we're going to predict i think the free jacks can get it done against utah at home Agreed. first at home first home game they waited a year cuz they didn't get it last year i imagine the, the, the emotional response to that as well will be Will be massive, and, and, and I expect them to come in strong.
3: And to go from conceding forty-seven points one week against LA to concede none against—I don't think I've ever it's known crazy, that to happen. Isn't it? A defensive so case, great job. Whatever whatever drills job. he did
1: in the week are going to be forever in yeah, in, in, in in the catalogue of
3: training. Yeah, you could sell them. You'd make a bit of money <laughs> yeah, on yeah,
1: them. Yeah, just, just that,
3: just that's unbelievable. Exactly, and they did it with thirty men at one point. Mental. But um. So then Toronto, Old Glory, really interesting game. I
1: just think it depends where, how far Toronto are up the script. Like if they keep making games, it's going to be competitive. But if not, I, I fancy Old Glory with their, with their attack and um, and that them at home as well. I, I think, you know, the Tusitala show continues in my mind unless Toronto just clicked a little bit. But I just feel like Old Glory to me look more of a complete side right now.
3: They're very confident. I think they're a very confident side, Old Glory. It'd be interesting to see who plays at ten. Uh, Toronto looking for their first win. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I think Old Glory at home will be good there. So we're saying the two home teams. Legion at ATL?
1: This is a tough one. Um, you know, my instinct is to pick Legion. I just think mm. the team, the players. The one thing I can find is, is that I feel like they they do rely a bit on their ball carriers. And mm. Atlanta have quite a good defence and quite a clever ticking yeah. game. And if Legion yeah. don't kick to their best Capabilities, I feel like they could fall into a, an arm wrestle trap where it's it's a neck and neck game. If they're able to go yeah. no, like let's go flex, good set yeah. piece, launch, good couple right. phase, they'll score tries, mate. Doesn't matter how yep. organized the defense is yeah. if they win those collisions. But if they're yeah. not getting those as well, and they get and they come on the wrong end of the kitchen, kicking game, I could see it being very close.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's going to be close. The way ATL defend, I think that's going to be a good game there. I'll I'll pick Legion chalk um and then uh houston ags this one the texas cup
1: or whatever they call it um it's hard to know because both teams have like strengths at times like if, if, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm honest i think houston will will get the better of the battle up front i think now which might win the game right. for them i think their scrum and maul might be better but then i'd say austin probably attack a little bit better i don't know if Devette yeah. roos is back i think he'll be a big factor for yeah. Houston when he's back I expect an uptick in performance as we already discussed. Um, but for me I am going I'm on a I'm gonna favor Houston. I'm on a knife edge. I'll go
3: AG's on that then yeah because we agreed on the others. Yeah and I think
1: AG's oof, well I'll take Atlanta looked- as well then shall yeah. we? I'll take ATL just okay. to make okay, it okay. I was a bit on the fence with that one. So I'll take ATL, yeah, ATL yeah. and then so now we've got but a-
3: um but I think the East, East is looking very competitive. It's, uh, it's, and I think LA LA are gone above everyone, but again, it's so early, and I think you would expect you would expect Legion to be up there with LA, um, and it doesn't look like. Uh, oh, sorry, Utah are doing very well. We'll see it. We'll see if how they go um, going away to New England. Absolutely, but very interesting. And,
1: and that's what's fun about this: is every game we've yeah. pretty much previewed is pretty close and competitive, and why it's an exciting weekend of matchups. And it, it is really one of the point difference to the league: is that you, you, most of the games are pretty competitive.
3: Yeah, for sure. All right.
1: all right, mate. Well, that is a wrap on the MLR Breakdown. Hodes, as always, thanks for coming on. We'll see you next week and uh, enjoy the games and, and, and I'm sure you'll have a, a lot of screen time this weekend. Lovely jubbly. That's a wrap on episode two. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with us. I want to take a big second to thank everyone that watched the first show, retweeted it, shared it. We really appreciate all the support. A couple of announcements from the American Rugby Show. We have new segments dropping that are just maybe going to air initially on IGTV and rotate the way into the show, uh, the glory days, which uh, we loved hearing from Todd and Lou Stanfield so much in episode one, we had to sit them down again and ask them some of their old stories. So stay tuned for that segment drop in on IGTV this week. And uh, we'll see you next week with some more guests, more action, more analysis, giving you the American rugby fans, what you want.